Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Our word for this year is presence. Experiencing and recognizing God's presence in every moment of our life. And what I want to touch on today is probably the deepest human desire that any of us ever have had and ever will have. And oftentimes we don't even recognize or realize that this is the motivating factor for so much of what we do and so many things that we long for. The first book of the Bible sets a stage of a paradise that's in a garden where man was driven out of that garden and the path was blocked. The path was blocked by angels who were flaming swords back and forth so that man could not enter back into that. The last book of the Bible is about a paradise in a city where the gates, get this, are perpetually open. In Genesis chapter 3, which we're going to look at in just a moment, we're going to see this story in a nutshell. And you probably have heard this story, you know this story. But the deepest human desire, whether we realize it or not, each and every one of us are on this similar quest that we desire to get back to Eden. There is this longing in the human heart to get back to the place of God's presence, to get back to the the longing that we know that it must be perfect in the presence of God. Something is lacking, something is missing. Even in the heights of our most accelerated, joyful moments of this life, they quickly wane and they quickly fade and we go back to something that is ordinary, something that is normal. And so the deepest, most intense longing and desire of the human heart is to get back to this place with God, this place by his presence. Look at Genesis 3 and 23. It says this, so the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden. Where? To the east of the garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We know something about the way. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you see the similarities in the language that Jesus borrowed from, from the Old Testament, all throughout the Psalms, it's it's, uh, said that Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book in his entire ministry. But he also borrowed from language that would have been familiar to them, something like the way that was blocked. Now Jesus is that way for truth and life. And no one comes to the Father except by that way. There was no other entrance into the Garden of Eden other than that way. And Jesus came to restore to man a way, the way, the only way that he could have the full presence of God. So Adam and Eve are driven out of the presence of the Lord. And as long as you and I operate in the same functionality and the same mindset and the same manner that Adam operated, we will never experience what the presence of God could be and should be in our lives. And that, my friend, is the curse of humanity's sin. Now go with me one more chapter to the book of Genesis chapter four. And we have this story of Cain and Abel. And let me just recap the the story here uh, for a moment. We know that uh, Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice to the Lord. 
In fact, I'm just going to read it to you here. It says in, in verse 3, In the process of time came that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering of the first fruit of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, then sin crouches at your door. Let me just recap this story for a moment. We've probably, many of us, heard about the, the killing of Abel, that Cain killed his brother, the story of Cain and Abel. And there's, there's a couple of assumptions that we make about this. They both brought an offering. And the Bible says that the Lord respected, or we would know it to be, the Lord looked favorably upon, and he was at attention brought to Abel's offering, but it says he didn't respect Cain's offering, or in other words, he wasn't so uh, thrilled or enamored with Cain's offering. Now, it doesn't say that he rejected Cain's offering. It just says that he was awestruck. There was something more attractive about Abel's offering than Cain's offering. We know because that was a blood offering. It took the shedding of blood for Abel's offering. He killed an animal, whereas Cain brought fruit. Now, Here's an assumption that we make. Well, God doesn't like fruit. He only likes the slain animals. And that's really not what the text says because the Lord follows up and says, Cain, why are you so downcast? Why is your countenance low? If you do well, won't you be blessed too? But he had these assumptions that were really uh, early civilization assumptions that the firstborn got the favor the firstborn, which he was, Cain was the, the firstborn, he got the, the blessing and he got the inheritance and he was the one that should be looked upon as God's favorite. But how many knows sometimes God's favorite isn't man's favorite? Sometimes God's favorite leaps and jumps and goes to a different place than what we would uh, categorize and, and, and kind of race and jockey something together. And so there is this assumption that Cain makes that God was being too good to Abel. God was being too generous to Abel. That what Abel was receiving was rightfully Cain's in the first place. And so somehow that Cain had been sidestepped and he didn't get the favor and he didn't get the blessing and it made him angry, indignant, mad, vengeful, spiteful, murderous. And if we're not careful, all of us can go back in our own lives, in our own minds, and we can identify sometimes where we've had to have a heart check because something seemed out of step, something was out of place in our life. Maybe we worked really hard and somebody else got the reward. Maybe someone else received the promotion that we'd been working for and we never even said that we were working for it, but we were jealous and we were mad and angry that they received something, maybe even a spiritual blessing when it didn't appear like they deserved it or that they were due up for it. And so the Bible tells us that Cain could have also been blessed if he had done well, but he didn't do well. He killed his brother. And that one act of disobedience, that one act of murder, haunted him his entire life. And it says in Genesis 4, 16, then Cain went out from the presence. Where did he go from? The presence of the Lord. Cain was in the very presence of the Lord. He went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And I would submit to you that we are still from the east of Eden longing to go to that place and to be in the presence of the one 
who is the Almighty, the presence of Almighty God. And it says that Cain went out and he dwelt in the land of Nod. Even Cain didn't necessarily want to go very far from the presence, yet he wandered. Bible scholars say that uh, the land of Nod has never been discovered, and many ancient cities have never been discovered, but, but many Bible scholars believe that Nod was not necessarily just a geographic location, though it may have been. It's more likely the translation of what the, the word Nod means, which is fugitive, wayfarer, wanderer. In other words, Cain's entire existence from the moment that he disobeyed and he killed his brother was to be cursed with an existence of wandering, of wayfaring, of drifting. And today I want to tell you, there is no longer any reason to drift. There is no longer any reason to wander. There is no longer any reason for us to stay east of Eden, you would say, or to stay camped outside of the presence of God. For you and I have been given an opportunity through the veil that is his flesh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we can come near and we can approach the throne of grace with boldness to obtain mercy and help in our time of need. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, you can change the place of your locality you can change your profession and study to do something else. You can change the people that you surround yourself with, but none of that matters if you're outside of his presence. Cain could testify to us today and say, I changed everything I could. I got better education. I farmed another land. I went to another place. I sold these family members and I married new wives and got new family members. And I had all of this, but I was outside of the presence of God. And therefore, outside of God's presence, I was only ever a man walking in Nod. I was a wanderer, a wayfarer, and I was away from the deep longing of my heart, the presence of my Lord. It says that Cain was downcast, he was angry. And the reason why is that there is only peace in the presence of God. Psalm 16, 11 says this, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist was, was singing this poem, singing this song about this way, the way into this presence place the way into the one that was blocked. He, he's having a jubilation in his heart knowing that there is something to the nearness of God because in God's presence, there is fullness, completeness, wholeness of joy. Now we have to understand in our modern context that joy is not to be compared with happiness. They seem the same, but they're not. Because happiness, you can find in his very root word happenings, happenstance, happiness is a result of things that have taken place around us. We can be happy when something good happens to us. We can be happy sometimes when other things happen good for those that we love. We can have happiness. But joy is not dependent, hear me, joy is not dependent upon our happenings. Amen. Joy is this thing on the inside of us that we know because we know because we know that since Jesus has resurrected, since he now sits at the right hand of God on high, since he, we have an intercessor, since we have someone who has gone before us, that we have an advocate with the Father, joy gives me this stillness of heart to realize that regardless of my outside circumstances, 
Regardless of whether things turn out right or things turn out wrong, regardless of whether things break my way or go the other way, I can still have joy because the joy of the Lord, that's what makes me strong. It's not everything else. It's not if the right government gets in office and the right political party is there or the right team wins. That can bring me happiness temporarily until the next election, until the next season, until the next triumph, until the next battle. But the joy of the Lord is something that is more staying. The joy of the Lord is something that is more resident. It has about it an ability that can keep you in perfect peace. And it says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I was thinking about this message and about a very uh, common and popular theme in our culture. It has been for probably the last 50 to 75 years. And that is this, this, uh, this theme of heaven. It is a Bible theme. It is a Bible promise. Heaven is, is promised to those who, who have opened their eyes and their heart and their life to say yes to the claims of God in their life. And here's what's amazing about heaven in our day is that even in a, a what I would consider post-Christian culture, if you're not aware of it yet, we are living in America in a post-Christian era. Even in a post-Christian culture, over 80% of people surveyed will tell you that they believe in heaven and they're likely going there when they die. But way, way less would ever acknowledge the existence of a place called hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Everybody wants a rainbow, but nobody wants to rain. And so when we think about heaven, it is a peace place. Jesus talked about this. Jesus, Jesus actually, if you will, Jesus embodied what heaven on earth was. Adam and Eve lived in two different types of environments. They lived in the Garden of Eden, which was heaven on earth, and they lived on this earth in decay, which was not heaven on earth. And Jesus represents for us what heaven looks like and what heaven is. See, while we are in our contemporary culture on a quest to get to heaven, Jesus had a different plan, and this was his plan, is to get heaven on the inside of us now and for us to be in heaven after death. And let me, let me just share it with you like this. Wherever Jesus is, that's heaven. We, we t often talk about those who have gone on before us, those who have passed at a funeral. We talk about, well, they're in a better place. Well, maybe they are and maybe they're not, but that's not for me to theologically tease out in a, in a funeral sermon. But, but here is what they mean is that for those who know with certainty that they have placed their trust in their life into the hands of Jesus, they're in the very presence of Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So wherever Jesus is, there is heaven. But I would agree with them in one way. Every person, every human ever to breathe, when they die, they are going to go to heaven. Every person who has ever lived, every person who ever will live, when they die, they will go to heaven. Everybody does. The problem is not everybody is going to stay there. And eventually heaven is not the ultimate destination, new heavens and new earth. That's the ultimate destination. For those who are unrepented and unbelieving, they have a destiny that is outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For those who have said yes to the claims of Jesus, 
For those who have said, I trust and I have faith even though I cannot see, I have faith. For those who have trust Jesus for their final destination, there will be a great resurrection. And then there will be new creation that we will get to enjoy the presence of God. You know, it says in Revelation that in that city, there is no need for the sun because the son of God is the light of that city. It says of that city that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more dying, no more sighing. There will be a time of God wiping away the tears from our eyes. We will be in the very presence of God. We will be in what the gospel writers called palingenesia, which is Genesis again. We will be in that place with our Savior. Colossians 1 and 27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Said another way, to get a foretaste of glory divine in the here and now, we as believers have a little bit of deposit on the inside of us of, of heaven while we await the day when we stand before God in that place. Holy Spirit came and brought heaven to us long before he brings us to heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.20 that we are seated with Jesus, when? Right now, in heavenly places. Luke 17 and 21, the kingdom of the heaven is in you. 2 Corinthians 1 and 22, the Holy Spirit is our earnest, the down payment, the deposit that we have in our hearts of all things eternal. So my question is to you, where is heaven? Heaven is in the presence of Jesus. I was talking with someone just the other day and they were uh, sharing a, a little glimpse of a vacation that they had been on. And here was the words out of their mouth. If I could just go back to that beach, if I could just relive that day, it was like being in heaven. Where would we get such a notion? Where would we get such a conclusion? And someone would say, pastor, do you always live in the presence of God? You're on the stage, you're, you're speaking to us today. Do you always live in the presence of God? And I would say, no. When that person cuts me off in the car, I quickly realize that Satan jumped into the passenger seat. I get mad. I want to retaliate. I want to put my truck in sport mode and show him I can get in front of you. But of course I don't do that because it has a new freedom bumper sticker on the back. So I, I reserve. And if you're one of those road rage drivers, please, by all means, pick up our t-shirt, but don't take the bumper sticker. Go to the Jehovah's Witness Church and pick up their bumper sticker. Put that one on your car. No, of course, I don't always live in the presence of God, but I can tell you and I can, I can attest to you that there have been some times where in the, in the thick and the turmoil of life and the pressures of this world and the cares of this world and all of the things that are knocking on my heart, I have been able to find a solace, a sweet rest, a place where I call unto the name of the Lord my God and I say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And the helper shows up, the paraclete comes and peace like a river attendeth my soul. And I know in that moment, I'm in the presence of God. And I have a, just a foretaste of glory divine. Yes, I have to wake up the next day and I have to do the, the duties and the rigors of life. And I have to go through this life just like you have to go through it. But I know in my heart, I know on the inside that there is a very real presence of God. And here's what I want to share with you. The more that you and I taste of this heavenly bliss, the more that we seek out and we experience what these little glimpses of heaven are like, the more 
that we desire to create that through the atmosphere that we create in our own being, our own midst, our own home, through the setting and the circumstances that we walk into, through the attitudes and the actions that we want others to experience when they come around us. Have you ever walked into a place or, or come into someone's circle of influence, maybe it was someone's home, and you just sense that there's something peaceful there. There was something of like a presence there. If you've never had that experience, I want to challenge you to do something. If you're ever driving through North Carolina and you're on I-40 and you're going past Asheville, North Carolina, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to just pull off. I don't know what exit it is, but, but you can't miss a sign. It says Billy Graham Cove Library. Billy Graham Cove, not the library, Billy Graham uh, Cove. It's a training center right there in the hills of Asheville, North Carolina. And when you pull onto the property, there's a little chapel and you can go into that chapel. I have experienced probably a dozen times pulling off of I-40 after coming down that treacherous mountain pass. Oh my goodness. You talk about road rage. Wow. <laughs> you pull off there and you come onto this presence. There's 1,100 acres up this hillside, this mountainside, I should say. And something about it being dedicated to the glory of God as a place on earth, there is a peace, there is a serenity, there is a stillness that even though you were going supposed to go 70, probably 82 on the interstate just before that, you pull off that place and there is a calm. There is something that is a different pace there. There is almost like you can sense this place is different. Some of you have environments and atmospheres that people in your life desire to get close to you because you represent the serene. You represent the calm. You represent something to them which is like a foretaste of glory divine. They want to be near you. They want to be next to you. They want to be invited by you because what you represent is a presence of God that is very real, that is not found in every place. This is why that when we look at how do we recreate these moments in our lives, we go to things like the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes. Jesus tells us what it looks like to be a person of presence. Through the blessed are statements, we see what a blessed life looks like, a, a life that is marked with the character of God. And it's not a matter of us achieving spiritual perfection on this earth. We're going to have hiccups. We're going to have failures. We're going to have shortcomings. We're going to have bad days. We're going to misspeak. But when we exercise spiritual delights, I'm not even going to call them spiritual disciplines. I'm going to say when we exercise spiritual delights in our life by consuming and practicing the word of God, what happens is we become more shaped into the person that God ordained us to be. Even the most hardened sinner has experienced a glimpse of heaven in this life. They've seen what kindness looks like in action. They've experienced generosity in action. They have seen forgiveness, or maybe they have even given forgiveness. We all are attracted to humility. Something about worship, like the kind of worship we had this morning, something about that draws you to want more of it. And you recognize that it's not common, it's not ordinary but there is something of the divine that is touching our heart in those moments of worship, fellowship, friendship, peaceful contemplation. These things all speak to us 
of another world, another life, something that is beyond the scope of our human circumstances. In my opinion, one of the most drastic examples of getting a glimpse of heaven on earth is to see the birth of a brand new baby, new life coming to birth. Wow. That is not some blob of atoms that came together through ooh and goos and all kinds of evolution. That is the thumbprint of Almighty God. That is the breath of life coming from Almighty God. And so by human nature, we seek to duplicate what feels good, what, what creates pleasure. This is why that we're planning for our next vacation while our current vacation is coming to a close. We want more pleasure. This is why after you've worked hard in the yard all day for a summer day, you come in and you want a cold drink of lemonade. This is why that you eat every last bite of that perfectly cooked meal because it tastes so good. It's pleasurable. And this is exactly why we don't have, hear me, this is why we don't have the full and complete measure of the experience of heaven in the here and now. In our current state, this body, this earth suit, we cannot handle the fullness of the glory of God except for in glimpses. We catch a glimpse of them. Because if we did, then this would be the very reason we go back to Genesis that those angels had to block the way back to the tree. Because if we did, then we would eat of the tree and we would live forever in that fallen state. God loved us so much that he made provision. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes an allegory on heaven and hell. And this is a bus trip from journeying from hell to heaven. And Lewis in this allegory is taking participants who want to get on this bus, people who are in this no man's land, this place of hell, to the other land, the place which they can only far off see, he takes them there to this place. And it says of, of one person that he took that he had been a famous artist on the earth. The ghost is, is the spirit. Glancing around at the landscape, he says in amazement, this man, this painter who used to be a painter on earth says, I should like to paint of this place. He's talking about heaven. He goes from hell to heaven on this bus, and he says, I should like to paint in this place. I wish I'd thought of bringing my utensils with me. The spirit shook his head, scattering light from his hair as he did. This sort of thing is no good here, he said. What do you mean, said the ghost? Because when you painted on earth, at least in your earlier days, it was because you caught glimpses of heaven in the earthly landscape. The success of your painting was that it enabled others to also see the glimpses through your painting. But here, you are living the very thing itself. It is from here that those messages came to you on earth. There is no good telling us about anything of this country, for we already see it. In fact, it is better than you could have even painted it. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe that the church has painted hell in such a way that is so small, in heaven in such a way that is so small. We have not even scratched the surface of the horrors of hell, nor scratched the surface of the glories of heaven. But I do know this, that in his presence, there is fullness 
of joy. And all of us are looking to get back to that place, to get back to that garden. By nature, we as a people are addictive people. We, we will get addicted to just about anything that causes us pleasure. And this is why I don't condemn the drug addict. You know what the drug addict is really looking for? They're looking for the presence of God. And what they've stumbled upon is something that is man-made and synthetic that brings them a temporary, momentary sense of relief, reprieve, even an outer body type of experience. But because it's synthetic, because it's man-made, it cannot last long and therefore it wears off. And that's why they go after that thing again and again until finally they're hooked. If you and I could fully fathom and grasp what the destructive end is of those kinds of addictions, we would never be addicted to that stuff. But we can't. We quickly forget. And we go back in search of something to fill this God-shaped hole on the inside of us. I'm here to tell you today, there's no need to wander. There's no need to be a person in the land of Nod. You can come close to the presence of God. In fact, God's presence is here right now. Just like Cain, all of us have played the fugitive. All of us have played the wanderer. The Bible tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray, each and every one of us to our own separate way. But it pleased God that in the fullness of time that he would send his son born of a woman to live to suffer, to die, to raise on the third day so that you and I can truly experience a taste of glory divine. I love the old gospel hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Listen to the words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it for thy courts above. It says, bind my wandering heart to thee. What did the psalm writer know? What did the hymn writer cast? What did he capture? That we have wandering hearts. That we are prone to leave the God we love. Ecclesiastes 3 and 9 says, What profit has the worker from all, which all he labors? It says, I have seen God-given tasks with which the son of men are to be occupied. We are occupied with so many things, aren't we? He has made everything beautiful in his time. And he has also, get this, he has also put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of God who does from beginning to end. Did you know that you have a piece of eternity planted in your heart? There is a longing, there is desire for all things eternal. It was planted there by your maker. God put it there. And until you receive the gift of his dear son, you will always be wandering, always searching to try to fill that void. And it doesn't matter how many zeros are on the end of your bank account, how many lovers you've had notched on your belt, how many homes that you've been able to live in, how many cars that you drive, what kind of positions that you accomplish of fame and fortune and success in this world, none of it will ever satisfy if your heart is not settled 
and rest in God. So today, I want you to consider two options. Cain was driven from the presence of God and he fled. But another man who did things just as heinous, if not even more criminal than Cain, yet we celebrate him, his name's King David. King David arranged for murder, committed adultery, was disrespectful, disobedient to God, all the great things he did, but he's got a back story. He's got a shadow life too. Yet at the time of choosing, when it came time to say, okay, what do I do with my wayward heart? One rushed away and one prayed to stay. David said, cast me not from your presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In other words, David repented. David turned around. David changed his mind. David forsook his sin and looked unto his God. He got honest with himself about his condition. And this is what a lot of Americans find themselves at a place easy to run from their condition because there's so many good things being said about us and so many attaboys and pats on our back. But the truth is that without Jesus, we are utterly sinful and destined for a life of misery. But with Jesus, somebody say, but God. But with Jesus, you too can stop wandering. I wanna pray for you. God, I thank you that you have given us the pathway, the restored path to life that Jesus is revealed to us today, the very presence of God as the way, the truth, and the life. Your word tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. God, I'm thankful that there's not some magical prayer. There's not some perfect prayer to pray. There's simply a heart inclined to you that says, yes. If that's you today, you're watching us online, you're here in person, if that's you and you want to make a decision today for Christ, all you have to do is say, yes, God. Yes, God, I receive, I believe, I repent. Yes, God. Father, I thank you that you have given to us light on our path, that we may see your truth and we may live. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.